Welcome to Monster Chats, presented by Monster VoIP, where we share the tools, methods, and best practices that business leaders use to build new connections, strengthen relationships, and impact sales and organizations of all shapes and sizes. If you have any questions that come up during today's episode, please text them to 424-378-6966. Please welcome the founder of Monster VoIP, your host, Colin Mitchell. All right. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking with Scott McGregor of Something New. Scott and I are going to be talking about talent acquisition for companies and career strategies for candidates. I'm Colin Mitchell, the host of Monster Chats and the founder of Monster Void. Scott is a disruptor in all things talent, and Something New has won a record five consecutive American Business Awards for innovation. Scott, welcome to Monster Chats. How are you doing? Colin, thank you for having me, and happy belated birthday. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for hopping on here. Uh, I've been meaning to, to get together and, and, and uh, have you on the show, so I'm glad we were able to connect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so before we jump in, just tell us a little bit about your story, You know where you grew up and kind of what your path has been, and, and then we can get into some of the amazing things that you guys are doing over there. Thanks. Uh, yeah, um, interesting uh, Interesting time growing up. I grew up uh, in an affluent town on the shore in Connecticut, uh, but we were very uh, poor. So Mm. growing up poor in a very affluent town was a very strange way to to grow up, but it kind of made me psychotically motivated, I think, from Mm. day one. Um, Not probably for the things that people would think. It wasn't for the material things. It was to alleviate the stress that I saw my parents had. Um, you know, I knew Christmas time and birthdays were times when they were going to buy presents that they just couldn't afford. And that, mm-hmm. that's stressful when you're a kid. So uh, I was always super motivated, very into sports. Um, that was kind of the, that equal, that leveled the playing field, I think, uh, to a degree growing up. Um, as a competitive athlete and uh, then fell into a career in sales, Uh, very quickly got into a leadership position, uh, never looked back and started uh, something new five and a half years ago uh, due to utter frustration with (laughs) my experiences with the recruiting world. Wow. I think we have very similar stories. I don't, I didn't think I realized we had so much in common. I I too um, grew up very poor and you know, that's kind of what is my drive to has driven me to become an entrepreneur. And I went into an industry and started in sales and worked my way up and was frustrated and said, I think we could do this on our own. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, it's very interesting. What sport, what type of sports did you play and at what level? Um, I was a football player and a baseball player. Uh, I wanted to play, D1 baseball, but I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't a kid who was going to go and, you know, uh, go to USC or go to Miami or a big program like that. So there was a a program in Connecticut that was D1. Uh, Jeff Bagwell, who played for the Astros, a friend of mine growing up, he was going there. And uh, between that and a recruiting visit, decided to go there, uh, wound up blowing out my back. Uh, and my athletic career came to a screeching halt um, and just channeled all of that focus uh, into doing well in school and preparing myself to, you know, uh, 
hit the ground running. I think I literally started, I graduated and I think I started my job, you know, within a week. Uh, so I was very motivated. Wow. What was that like, you know, getting injured and realizing that sports weren't going to, you know, take you any further in life? Um, you know, I, I was realistic enough to know that I, I probably wasn't going to be a professional player, although I think we all have delusions of grandeur. And certainly if I had known that Jeff, who was sitting on my couch in college drinking a beer, was going to be making 15, 15 million a year with the Astros, uh, I don't know, maybe I would have tried harder, did different things. But um, it was actually a relatively easy transition. I just took all that. Mm-hmm. you know, work ethic, discipline, and resiliency, and just poured it into uh, what was next. Yeah, and and you, you know, I've been following your content for, for quite some time, and, and you kind of see a lot of similarities in in, in sports and business and, and, and kind of what, ide- you know, what ideal candidates look like. They have, you know, similar qualities to, to athletes, right? Uh, I, I really think they do. So, you know, especially when you're looking for uh, salespeople in particular, I think, and I asked this question, I, I couldn't tell you, and as a team, we, we ask it, you know, I don't know, hundreds of times a week, what are you looking for? We rarely uh, hear people say the things that I think are the most valuable, which is work ethic, discipline, and resiliency. Mm. Um, so... Those are, I think people make the mistake of thinking, oh, of course, when I say those to a sales leader, they say, or a CEO, they say, oh, no, yo, of course. But of course, kind of implies that, oh, everybody has that. Well, mm. no, they don't. Very few people mm. have a great work ethic, have great discipline, and have resiliency. Uh, so those are the three key things that I look for, obviously, coachability and there's a whole host of others um, uh, that that help you make really good decisions, but those are kind of the cornerstones. So, what are some of the more common things that people say they're looking for when you ask them that question? Industry experience, uh, which I totally disagree with. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's it's uh, it's a nice to have. It's not a must have. Mm-hmm. Um, I could prove that six ways to Sunday. I built very, very large teams myself uh, and was very purposeful at some points to not take people from the industry Mm. uh, because we were doing things differently. So uh, I really wanted people with those core, uh, those core attributes that I knew was going to bring them success. The learning curve, I think everybody overestimates how sophisticated their industry is. Uh, People, you know, they look at, well, you know, if they haven't sold a SaaS solution as if this is like rocket science, yeah. it's not. Um, it's, it's typically, in my experience, when people are hyper-focused on industry experience, it's code word for saying our onboarding is really not very good. So mm-hmm. you better come to the table knowing the buzzwords and kind of all, all of that. Uh, and I think those things are easily teachable. Mm. And what about, so what about those qualities though, that resiliency and that good work ethic? Do you think those are things that are teachable? Um, I think they're very, very hard to teach. 
Mm. Um, I think there are things you can do to hone those, but uh, th those are a little bit more innate. Um, that That's tough. So if they don't have it, uh, those, those are, to me, those are non-negotiables. And the way that we approach talent <clears throat> is through a data-driven approach. So we use score, very sophisticated scorecarding that's proprietary to us. Um, and that really, it helps people make data-driven decisions. Um, and, and those things are must-haves, so they're weighted differently uh, um, than other, other criteria. So you guys have like a series of questions that basically score whether they have those, those non-negotiable qualities that you're talking about? We have all the attributes. So if it's a chief revenue officer or if it's a national account manager or if it's somebody in customer success, uh, the criteria of what you're looking for is always different. Right. Uh, but what happens is in town, like if I look at any job description, you could go to indeed and look at, you know, millions of job descriptions and there are laundry lists of things that people want in an employee. The danger in that is that the thing that's most important and least important are not, they're not weighted any differently. So in our minds, just the way we work, we sometimes overvalue or undervalue things, which is very dangerous. And we fall in or out of love with a candidate for things that really don't predict their success. So using a data-driven approach, which forces you to put those things in buckets. Mm -hmm. So there are three buckets in our world. There are must-haves, there are important and there are nice to haves and they're weighted differently. And every decision maker uses the same scorecard. So they're comparing a, a candidate uh, exactly the same way. Mm. Now, how, tell, tell, tell me how different is that than what other companies in your industry are doing? I've never seen it before. Um, I, I actually created it at my last company. Um, so Funny story. So I uh, I reported to the CEO, uh, brilliant financial business guy, uh, not a great evaluator of people. Mm. And I'll give you just two extremes. Uh, he came out of an interview with one woman, and he said, "I love her." And I said, "Great. Why do you Why do you love her?" And he said, "Well, she went to Yale." And I said. Okay, but that will have really very little bearing on how successful she is as a national account manager with us. Um, so that was an example of overvaluing something that wasn't really going to predict success. In another situation, true story, uh, I said we had a candidate, you know, absolutely checked every box. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, what did you think? And he said, mm, I don't know. And I said, well, what was, what's your hesitation? And he said, well, he was wearing white socks. <laughs> I said, well, first of all, they were tan socks. But even if he was wearing white socks, the guy was exactly what we're looking for. So, I mean, luckily, I, I was able to make that decision. I did bring him on board. He became one of the most successful people we had in the company's uh. history. Um, and it, it, it forced me to realize that... <clears throat> He was a big data guy, so I created this scorecarding system, and we then went nine years 
without losing anybody, mm-hmm. uh, which I still think if there's a Guinness World Book of Records for not losing somebody, I've never heard Ooh. of a company not losing somebody for nine years. Especially um, these days, right? I mean, because people are so open to just hopping around these days, right? So um, that's pretty amazing. But we started making data-driven decisions. We started evaluating candidates based on the same criteria. What, and what every was, stakeholder stuck to it. And what was the first iteration of that, of that scoring system? It so was just like an entry at best, <laughs> not what we have today. So today it's pretty sophisticated. It allows our clients. Uh, so if you're looking for uh, evaluating somebody's empathy, um, Empathy is an important thing to have, but if you ask most people, I I am a true believer, I hate to say this, but most people that interview people uh, in a company are completely untrained to do it. Mm -hmm. It's like having a doctor work on you that they didn't didn't go to med school, they don't really know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of dangerous. So we, we give them behavioral interviewing questions that they can ask to uncover somebody's level of discipline or empathy or whatever whatever it might be um and so it's very it's a very robust uh system and i'm assuming a lot of this stuff's being done virtually now so how is that like a lot of these interviews are now virtual considering the times how has that uh impacted any of, of of the process that you guys have in place yeah it's you know, I, it's still most important to to really look past a resume, look past a LinkedIn profile, really get to know the person. I mean, obviously, we're using Zoom now uh, more than ever to vet and evaluate people. Um, I do see companies still doing kind of what I would consider silly things, and we try to coach them not to do those things. So it's like the interviewer uh, is on zoom uh but not on video and the interviewee is on zoom but on video and it's super awkward and it's not a great candidate experience um so i think sometimes people just don't think through that but when you think about talent uh non-stop all day every day you you, you're able to coach uh people even in this kind of new world of, of virtual vetting Right, right. Because if they're getting, I mean, if they're getting the rock star candidate that they're looking for, but not doing their part to be the type of company that that candidate's going to be interested in, then that's going to hurt them big time, right? Yeah, I mean, I I think everybody and we coach everybody to go into it. There's, if you're a candidate, there's no downside to the company that you're interviewing with. There's no downside in you wanting the end result to be them falling in love with you. And as a company, there is no downside to wanting every single candidate to fall in love with your company. Um, Because we live in a small world, we're all connected now digitally uh, with things like Glassdoor, uh, just the way that you treat people. I think uh, a mistake that's often made, Colin, is companies are gonna hire one person, they evaluate 100, they don't care about the 99, they mm. care about the one. And what they re- don't realize is that those 99 will either become advocates or adversaries. Mm. Um, so they're either gonna say wonderful things about your company, even if they don't get the job, based on how they were treated in the process. Mm. Um, 
and and that's really important, especially you know we were in a very competitive candidate market. Uh, we're not right now, but I think that will that will hopefully rebound. Um, but regardless, uh, it's just how we should treat each other as as human beings, and uh, there's there's no downside to wanting every candidate to really fall in love with 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 the company. Yeah, absolutely. So just tell me, I'm sure there's some coaching that, that goes on around that too, right? Like not leaving the candidates hanging, um, maybe, you know, closing that loop properly. What are some of the things that you, you know, some maybe actionable things that you coach, you know, clients on that they should be doing to make sure that even if the candidate's not a right fit now, yep. making sure that they still have that same, like, hey, I really love that company. You, you hit it on the head. I think the number one pet peeve for candidates is lack of communication. So people can handle, uh, regardless of the old movie, people can handle the truth. Um, and, you know, if, if you give them feedback, people just want to know where am I at in the process? Mm -hmm. um, the, the other mistake I think that's made uh, is people don't verbalize their concerns. So, it's very, very, very common that a company will interview a candidate. Uh, they will, the candidate will think, wow, that went great. Uh, we talk to the client. The client says, I really like Colin, but I'm concerned about this, this, and this. Our next question is, did you address that with Colin? And the answer we get back is no. Well, you have to address it with Colin so that Colin can then say, I could see how you could think that I was a job hopper or whatever, but here's kind of, and, and maybe they are right, but I think, you know, having the, the courage um, to say, hey, you know, this is a concern because at the end of the day, what do we all want? We all want good fits. Mm -hmm. Candidates want it. Companies want it. Um, but sometimes there's a hesitancy to do uh, some of those simple things. Right. And it's, 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 it's a win on both ends by, by expressing those concerns because it gives the candidate either the opportunity to clear up that concern um, or if they don't do a good job of cleaning up, it just validates that, Hey, that really is a concern and they're not, right. they're not a great candidate for us. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So let's, let's go, let's shift gears a little bit and, and talk sure. a little bit more about career strategy and, and the candidates, you know, cause the job market has changed drastically, you know, due to COVID there's, you know, millions of people now on unemployment. What are some, you know, advice or some suggestions or some things that you can give the, the candidates, the job seekers out there, you know, on how to either be, you know, rock stars in an interview or how they can maybe change what they're doing or, or give them some tactical tips. Yeah, I think it starts with actually having a career strategy. Um, so most people are not thinking multiple steps ahead. And unless I'm talking to somebody who is literally at the end of their career, I mean, even if I'm talking to somebody who's maybe in their 50s, they may have four, five, six more jobs before uh, they retire. So having a strategy of how to get to your next opportunity mm -hmm. and playing, we call it playing chess as opposed to playing checkers, that you're thinking a couple steps ahead and being a little bit strategic. I think it starts with kind of having a strategy. It starts with really evaluating, what do I really wanna do? What do I like to do? Not just what have I done, but where is my passion? 
And if it lies outside of what you've done, how do I pivot to get there? I think that's really important. Um, figuring out how to use a tool like LinkedIn. I think I hear this all the time. People say, oh, I use LinkedIn. And I look and I see they have a profile and it's not a very good profile, but they have a profile, but they have no engagement on the platform. Mm -hmm. So they don't really use LinkedIn. They have a half-baked profile. And again, that's a mistake. So another kind of quick tip, uh, most job candidates hyper-focus on their resume. It's a huge mistake. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's just numbers. So if you were in the market for a job, uh, I would ask you right now, uh, at 4.30 Eastern time, uh, how many people could be looking at your resume? The answer is the number you've sent out, 10, 20, 30, whatever. There's 690 million people on LinkedIn that at this very second could be looking at that person's profile. So having a perfect LinkedIn profile and then just transferring that and making that uh, making your resume perfect, you, you have to have both. Um, mm. But it's much more important to have a perfect uh, profile on LinkedIn and then to really use the platform to build a brand, to engage, to become a thought leader. Um, it's, it's one of those platforms that gives you such a tremendous opportunity uh, to create your own brand for free. Uh, and to build the network. Um, that's, you know, another, another thing that people, um, I don't think, put as much time and effort into. And it's probably, if I had to say, what's the one thing um, that's been a real differentiator uh, in my life, it's, it's been my network. It's been mm -hmm. my relation, my true relationships. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I love it when people say your, your, your network equals your net worth, right? It's true. Um, so, all right. So let's talk about LinkedIn for a minute, right? So if you're a job seeker, getting your LinkedIn in order, but not just getting it in order, being active on there, right? How, how much is our, um, you know, companies that are hiring, you know, taking into consideration uh, their LinkedIn profile or, you know, checking them out online or seeing, Hey, how many followers does this person have? Are they active? Are they a thought leader in this space? You know, are they going to be a great extension of our brand based on their network? How, how much is that taken into consideration when people are hiring that you see? I think it's the first place that people go. Um, so I know that when we send uh, our information in on a candidate, we do a huge write up on everybody that we submit. And we submit, of course, their resume, and we submit a link to their LinkedIn profile. I would say 90% of the time, companies are looking initially at their LinkedIn profile first. Mm. Um, plus, it's the way that every company and every agency initially looks at people. They look at a LinkedIn profile because there is no central repository for resumes. It's mm. called LinkedIn. Um, right. That's where people go. So. It's, it's really important. I think the most progressive companies, especially sales organizations, are really looking for people that understand social selling mm -hmm. um, and that understand the power uh, of that 
Um, you know, I can just give you an example. My company, we've been around for five and a half years, uh, which isn't forever, but it's also not a short period of time. And we have made zero, absolutely zero cold calls in five and a half years. None. Uh -huh. Never, ever picked up the phone and made a cold call. Uh, it's all through inbound um, because of the network we have and because of the content that we're putting out. Wow, that's incredible. So that, that's, that's pretty amazing. So five years, no, no cold outreach, all inbound, based on network, based on social media, yep. based on content, 100%. Yep. That's incredible. Um, I want to talk about LinkedIn for a minute for the candidate again. So you said, you know, when you put that write-up of a candidate and send it off to the client, it's got a write-up, it's got their LinkedIn profile, and you said something that's really important. The first thing that they do is they click on that LinkedIn link right? Yep. They get to see a picture of that person. They get to see their job history. They get to see anything that they're talking about engaging with. Um, now, how much do they, the, based on what they see on that profile, do they then decide to continue to read the write-up or to even look at the resume or talk to me about that? Cause I think that, I think there's some, some, some things to, to touch on there. It's, it's a fantastic point. Um, so I think, uh, no one likes to hear this, but I think it's true. I think we live in an insanely lazy uh, world uh, where a paragraph seems like war and peace. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, uh, but it seems that way. So people don't like to do a lot of reading. They want to quickly look at something. So although we spend a tremendous amount of time putting write-ups together, uh, people will make a judgment based on uh, just, hey, I looked at this profile and it didn't seem to to uh, to match what we're looking for. Uh, meanwhile, we've spent two hours or more uh, because we have a double vetting process. Uh, only 3% of the candidates that we vet actually make it through to our clients. So if, if, if they get to our client, they are – they're definitely hitting the target, if not the bullseye. Mm. Um, so it may look deceiving on paper, but especially in the startup world, you know, you see this a lot where you may see people that have had a lot uh, more jobs than maybe you'd be comfortable with. But oftentimes that's because of an acquisition or it's because of, you know, company went out of business and there's, mm. there's explanations to it. But on the surface, looking quickly, you could say, a uh, person's a job hopper. I, I don't. I don't really think they're a viable candidate. Mm, mm. And that just validates even more that how important having that polished LinkedIn profile and actually using the platform is is a huge uh, component to whether you even get get an interview or not. I agree. I think uh, having a perfect profile is just the starting point. Right. It's just, you. You're only a portion of the way there it's it's then engaging whether you're posting content or whether you're you know engaging with the content of the people that you want to develop a relationship with yeah. um, as potential mentors or influencers or bosses or whatever the case may be well, it's all, yeah, it's your, it's your polished profile. It's then, oh, how many mutual connections? How, are, they po are they posting original content? Are they engaging with content? What are they talking about? How many followers do they have? Like all that stuff can be found out on LinkedIn in a matter of, you know, a minute or less.
Yeah. Um, and I mean, I don't know. I could almost see a world where resumes go away and it's submit your LinkedIn profile. What do you think about that? Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's uh, the a resume is should just be literally a regurgitation of everything that's on LinkedIn. Right. Um, if anything, a resume is a truncated version of your LinkedIn profile because obviously on LinkedIn you can embed video and you, there's yeah. so much more. You've got a lot more leeway on the platform. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm sure that day is is coming. Awesome. Hey, so I know we want to save a little bit of time. Uh, you guys do some amazing things there. You're always giving back. I mean, I've seen your videos where you're out on the streets giving out things to people in need. Um, you also have a nonprofit. Let's let's spend some time and talk about you know some of the you know some of the good things you guys are doing over there. I appreciate it. So when I started the company, um, our ability to give back was probably the most important element to me in building a company. Uh, that really had that as the, as its core DNA. Um, so the problem, you know, as you know, when when you first start a company, is you don't have any money. So <laughs> I knew I couldn't just be writing out checks, and uh, that would have been great. But so you have to you have to get creative, and you have to think of how do I, how do we give back in a meaningful way? And I thought, what are my assets? So one of my greatest assets that I had was my network and just an amazing uh, group of people that I'm blessed to know. Um, so we came up with the idea to write books that would uh, go, all the money would go to charity. Uh, so we wrote a book um, called Standing O. Um, it's all chapters of gratitude for life lessons learned. Uh, so Coach Dick Vermeil, who run, won a Super Bowl with the Rams, he wrote the foreword. Uh, Tiki Barber, who is a legendary New York Giant, wrote the cover quote. And then inside the book, we have 52 uh, chapters written by uh, their CEOs, entrepreneurs, Olympians, New York Times bestsellers, pro athletes, uh, military leaders. Um, and all the proceeds, again, went to, went to charity. And so uh, when something works, we just keep doing it. So it's like the uh, wash, rinse, repeat uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, so that worked really well. Um, and we said, why don't we do it again? Because we know a lot of people. We have a ton of these relationships. So yeah. we put out Standing O Encore. Uh, all the proceeds go to the Look for the Good Project. Um, and Heather Monahan, who's a huge influencer, wrote the foreword. Jesse Itzler, who uh, you know, own Marquee Jets. He owns the Atlanta Hawks, uh, married to Sarah Blakely. He's just an amazing guy. He wrote the cover quote. Um, and then again, same, same thing, 53 this time, amazing people. And then we've got our third book, uh, coming out in October, um, which has a little bit of a twist, but again, it's all, uh, life lessons, uh, and gratitude for the people who, who taught them. Awesome. How many chapters in that one? Uh, we'll have, we'll, uh, we screwed up the last time. We wanted to have 52 in each one, one uh, a chapter for every week. Um, we had an extra, I think I, uh, my math skills are not good. So uh, we wound up with 53. We're, so we'll have 52, I think, uh, in the next one. Or 53, we'll see. Yeah, or 54 or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. At least 52. At least 52. At That's least. 
That's awesome. And then tell me some of the cool stuff that you do just on a regular basis. Personally, I know you're always, you know, going out, giving people stuff that they need and, you know, just tell us a little bit how that got started. Um, you know, I work in New York, uh, primarily I work in Boston. Um, but I'm in New York probably more than, uh, any other city. And, uh, you know, the homeless population there really, uh, speaks to me. And so we, we decided to put together what we call something good bags, uh, which are really, really easy to put together. Um, you go to the dollar store, you buy a whole bunch of stuff, you put the bags together and hand them out. And I think the, the thing to me that's been the most meaningful, we've given out hundreds, um, is not to just give it to somebody, but to stop, shake their hand, ask their name, have a conversation. I, I really believe in doing this so many times over the last, you know, almost six years. The conversation alone, uh, recognizing that they're a human being um, mm. that has a name and has a past and, and wants to have a conversation um, is, is meaningful to them as what we're giving them in the bag. Mm. Um, so it's just one of those things. Anybody could do it. Uh, you just get a Ziploc bag. You can grab deodorant, toothbrush, you know, food, stuff like that, put it in the bag and, and give them out. It's uh it's one of the highlights of my days. I go into, into the city with a backpack that weighs like 50 pounds and leave with uh, nothing in it. So it's, it's pretty gratifying. That's awesome. Uh, I love that you actually take the time and to stop and have a conversation with them because I would imagine that means more than the bag. Way more, way more. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's been a blessing. Scott, thanks so much for joining us on, on Monster Chats. Really appreciate you hopping on here. Before I let you go, you know, tell people where they can find you, where they can find out more about, you know, Standing O and, and something new. Absolutely. So Standing O uh, and Standing O Encore, uh, you can get them on Amazon. Again, 100% of the proceeds uh, go to charity. Um, so, you know, it'd be a, an absolute blessing if, if people picked up a copy and I, I think they'll, they'll enjoy the books. The, the books are great. And I can say that because my name's on the cover, but I didn't write the chapters. Um, and you can find me. The best bet is LinkedIn. Uh, if you go to Facebook, I basically say go to LinkedIn um, or you can find me on Instagram. But LinkedIn is definitely the, the place to, uh, to track me down. All right. Awesome. Well, if you're listening to the podcast, please subscribe, share with your friends, and we're listening for your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. The show is all about you. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Monster Chats, presented by Monster Voip, where we share the tools, methods, and best practices that business leaders use to build new connections, strengthen relationships, and impact sales in organizations of all shapes and sizes. If you have any questions from today's show and want to reach us directly, please text your question to 424-378-6966.